It'll be 25 years next month since the capital city of Scotland appeared in Danny Boyle's film of Irvin Walsh's book, taking a dark humour look at drug addiction and poverty. I guess, like many of you, I've never watched the whole film, but the words at the beginning of Train Spotting may be well known. I'll spare us both the blushes of the blue words, but it challenges us to sarcastically to think of our life choices. Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose a big television. Choose washing machines, cars, compact disc players, and electrical tin openers. Choose good health, low cholesterol, and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase in a range of fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who you are on a Sunday morning. Our passage of Jesus' baptism is often taken as being about choosing the right thing. That's what John is doing out in the wilderness, isn't it? There he is preaching and baptising, calling people to repent and turn to God, then symbolically washing away their sin in a ritual that in the Jewish faith of the time was more normally used in a ceremonial way to reflect the rebirth of Gentile converts into the faith as they came through the waters. But they're getting a bit wetter than those who crossed the Red Sea or the Jordan on the Exodus journey to the Promised Land. In choosing God's way in repenting and being born again as followers of the Lord, we are choosing life. But that cannot really be the crux of this text, can it? And, and this is evidenced in the dialogue between Jesus and John. John knows that Jesus is the one he has been speaking of, that before him, asking from baptism, is the one whose sandals he is not worthy to untie. This is the one he feels uh, he is not worthy to do the most menial task of washing feet for. And yet Jesus is asking to be baptised. I've heard it suggested that as Jesus is 30 years old and fully human, he's probably done things that are wrong in his life. But that denies the fact that Jesus is also 30 years old and fully divine. He cannot do anything against God because he is the second person of the Trinity. The Son fully is God. So Jesus is not asking for forgiveness, but perhaps associating himself with those who are from whatever background coming to God and choosing life. Yet I still don't think this is the high point of the passage. Perhaps it is the Trinity's presence and the physical embodiment of the Son, uh, the descending of the Spirit, and the voice from above, the Heavenly Father, together. A true God is with us, Emmanuel encounter. And I think in this we are getting closer, but the reason remains why.
we will not know, at least not in our time on this earth. But I believe the answer comes to some extent in the theophany, the, the voice of God who speaks. God speaks in different ways to different people at different times. And perhaps for some it is a direct audible presence, as in the text. It could, however, be through a word or vision that has been given to someone else to share. Or perhaps it is through the Spirit bringing alive a particular piece of scripture as we read it. The word here, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, which reflects Isaiah 42, is interesting as John the Baptist is already aware of the nature of Jesus. Remember the conversation between them earlier. John already has reference for the Son, but this point before the ministry of Jesus really begins, the Father is saying, in him I am well pleased, and that Jesus is loved. This is before Jesus has resisted the temptation of Satan in the wilderness. It is before the call of the first disciples. It is before the Sermon on the Mount and the, the miracles. And then God will speak this message of love again in front of the disciples at the Transfiguration before the sun journeys to Jerusalem and to the cross. It's not because of his efforts that Jesus wins the Father's praise. It is because of who the Father is full of love. The voice of the Father says the Son is loved. But the very presence of Jesus in this passage says, you, you are loved by God. It doesn't matter what you have done in your life, what great gains for the church, whether you've heard God's call and responded, whether you've not heard it, even if you have ignored it, Jesus, the one loved by God, is not the only one loved by God. Because like him, we all are loved. We make choices in our life. We choose our path with work and with family. Though sometimes things don't always work out the way we would want in either of those two things. But we choose it. We choose our clothes and our luggage. Every day we actually make hundreds, if not thousands, of decisions without pausing for a moment. We can make the choice to live God's way, to turn from wrong, to be baptised, to be a disciple of Jesus. And that would change our life. But it would not change the fact that God already loves you and has cared about you, has cared about each one of us from before we were even born. He knows intimately, not in the way others see you. He sees each one of us, warts and all, and has love, and offers through Jesus the chance to choose life. Maybe today you are wondering who you are. I can tell you, 
you are one who is loved by God. Amen.